Mike Sherritt to the show. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. Thanks for being on. How bad did I just murder your last name? Uh, Sherritt, like Garrett. Okay. Yeah, you good. That works. Excellent. So, Mike, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, hello, everybody. I'm Mike Sherritt. I live down in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is sort of the bottom of Area 8. Um, been shooting uh, USPSA for, I think, five years now. PCC has kind of become my wheelhouse in the last two. Um, I enjoy shooting open in the offseason. Um, uh, married, got two boys, six-year-old and four-year-old. Looking forward to getting them into the sport. Um, just love having fun at matches and making new friends. And um, here's a great opportunity to do that with you. Yeah, so you're a young guy. You got young kids. You're a young guy. <laughs> well, thir 39 turning 40 in January, but I guess these are all relative. My kids are 20 and 22, so <laughs> I'd like to say I was turning 40. All right, so Mike, what we normally do is uh, I will ask some icebreaker questions, typically the most difficult questions of your life. Are you ready? All right. Yes. What's your favorite movie? I thought about it because I've watched a little bit of your podcast in advance of this, and I'm going to go with Boondock Saints. Oh, I think you're the second one to say that. Okay. Good, good movie. Yeah. What about book? Favorite book? You know, the Bible's the cliche answer, but um, I'd have to say it's Getting to Yes, which is by Fisher and Yuri. <laughs> it's a uh, principled negotiation book. Mm. Goes th goes through a lot of the classic um, negotiations, kind of in the in the eighties era, um, and just kind of gives you a, a framework on how to negotiate on principle rather than recognize when another person's digging into a position and you dig into a position, it really becomes a war that doesn't come out amiably for either side or efficient or effective. Um, so that that book was something I read before I got my first um, job interview in the finance industry. So I was prepared to negotiate for a salary. And uh, I really found that helpful in all areas of life. No art of the deal. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I'm glad I read that book. Cause I might as well be illiterate. I just, I don't read. I, I think it's an ADD thing that's never been diagnosed, but yeah, I don't read a lot of books. Uh, I, I think you're in the majority there. So no shame. Yeah. All right. Favorite superhero, or if you're not into that, historical figure. Thought about that, too. And I'd have to say it's Iron Man as embodied by Robert Downey Jr. Okay. You know, he's he's mortal. He, he understands his mortality, but uh, he still wants to help people, you know, with the limitations that he has of technology and whatnot. And um I, I can I identify with him a lot more than say a Superman or a Spider-Man or you know someone with supernatural powers. Just a well, I won't say a regular guy. I got a very very rich regular guy, but right, I'm with you. All right, so favorite gun and caliber, which don't have to be married together. Sure. Um, I mean, the right answer is my Da Vinci PCC because I'm on Team Da Vinci in nine millimeter. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I think more more universally, in terms of like the test of time, it would have to be uh, a, an SBR in two two three, so an AR fifteen platform in two two three Remington. Why SBR? Um, I, I shoot an SBR actually in PCC, 
which does make logistics a little difficult with 5320.20s to go out of state and whatnot. But um, I've just always liked the maneuverability of the platform, um, you know, close quarter movement or, you know, diving in and out of ports, for example, at a match. And, you know, it's something sexy about a short barrel rifle. The dimensions are all kind of square and there's a, a level of exclusivity, right? Like not everyone can get one. Like you, you get a little bit of respect, you know, when you show up with a suppressor on one, you know, about the same length as a regular gun. So that's... But do women That's like short barrels? <laughs> um, <laughs> we I'm can not skip gonna, that I'm, question. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on what the mass population feels about short barrels. <laughs> okay, good. So I found some um, pictures on your Instagram here. And so question number five is going to be, I'm going to have to share the screen here in just a second. Yeah, yeah. Let me open this up. Can you see that? Ah, yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> okay. So, apocalyptic ghost death spiral hot sauce. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you're into hot sauce. Yeah, make my own hot sauce. Okay. Love love spicy food. Okay. Now, how did you get into making your own hot sauce? How did that begin? I mean, I guess the journey started on December twenty third, two thousand seven, which was the day I met my wife and pursued her relentlessly into getting dinner with me that night. And in Lynchburg on a Sunday, TGI Fridays was the only place open. Um, of course, a lot's changed since then. But uh, she whipped out a little one of those like little mini bottles of Tabasco and starts doctoring up her Jack Daniels sauce. And oh, I wasn't really into not. spicy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was never into spicy food. My my parents culturally rarely cooked with butter or salt. So like I was just learning of all the flavors of the world as an adult out on my own. <laughs> And uh, spicy food is just, just something I wasn't around. But I'm like, well, I can't let her out spice me at you know our first date. So I'm like, oh yeah, let me get some of that. And I doctored up, and I'm like, oh, this is this is good. And then from and then from there, you know, I, I I learned that I enjoyed the endorphins popping on the top of your head with spicy food. And so you know, start working your way up the Buffalo Wild Wings menu, and then start trying you know hotter levels of Thai and Indian food, and and um. Anyway, you know, fast forward to the last two years, I've grown my own peppers in my garden out back and I always make sure I have some, you know, Carolina Reapers or ghost peppers, um, red chilies. I did Tabascos for the first time this year and they, they just, they produce more than I can really like eat and cook with. Cause you know, my, my two boys can't handle spicy, you know, they, they, they think of foreign flavor spicy and I can't eat this, this spicy. It's like, no, it's just curry. You know, it's just a different flavor. And um, my wife lost a lot of her spice tolerance during uh, both of her pregnancies uh, just because she found that it, it passed through via the breast milk to our kids and, and they, oh. they had reactions and stuff. So, so she just kind of, she stopped eating super hot stuff. And so I was, you know, I'm kind of the solo man there. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed hot sauce, but it's kind of hard to find something that you want to go eat every day or maybe you have something special to pair with. And so, uh, you know, look, I looked up a recipe a year or so ago and, um, made my first batch and I've kind of built off of that and learned what I, what I like, what I don't like. Um, and so I, I made three batches this year and they turned out really great. And I've been giving those to friends and, uh, family as gifts and, and everyone says they're enjoying them. So that's, that's fun. And, I and the, Go I was going to say the, 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 the name that you read, the apocalyptic ghost death spiral, uh, is because it has apocalypse, scorpion peppers, ghost peppers, and death spirals. And, um, I think two of those are predominantly 
uh, from Asian origin. And the way this, that particular bottle turned out, it's like, you ever have that, um, the fermented chili paste that has like the rooster on it and the green lid, like you get it mm -hmm. like a Asian, Asian restaurants. It, it turned out very much with that flavor profile, but like a thousand times hotter. So it's a great, Ooh. um, you know, kind of Asian pairing, you know, hot sauce. How much are you, I mean, I, I've never even heard of death spirals. I mean, I like hot sauce. Um, obviously I've heard of the ghost, the Carolina Reaper, all of that stuff, not heard of death spiral before. So that's different. Um, mm -hmm. but are, how many drops of this are we talking? Like if you're eating a bowl of chili, like how many drops of that stuff are you putting in? And chili, I mean, I'd say, well, so all these sauces turned out kind of on the thick end. And so I took the little plastic thing off the top that you shake through because you tend to only get like the vinegar and water parts. So I want oh, more of the okay. actual food. I want more of the actual food to get in there too, both from a flavor standpoint right. and also the, the, the spice level. And so I, I'd say in a bowl in a bowl of chili, I'd take that much of the neck and pour it in as a reference. So okay. a little, little That's still cubic, good. That's a that's cubic a good centimeter. Bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That'll light my, your other my, end up. My tolerance is way up there, I think. Um, yeah. well, there, you know, just the best practice for everybody out there that likes spicy food or wants to step up their game, chewing thoroughly, which which hurts more up front, really helps not hurt on the backside. <laughs> if you know if you're picking up on a put down. Most most uh, people, you know, eat yeah. chicken wings, oh, and they just try to get it, try to get it down. No, nah, you gotta enjoy the burn on this side so you don't have it on that side. Boom. There you go. All right. Now we a tip from the expert. <laughs> now I've seen where, um, let's see, what was it? I think it was the made in Virginia store used to sell really like ghost pepper, hot Dave's sauce. insanity. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there were a bunch of them, but there were a couple of them that had like this little itty bitty tiny spoon, literally that you would just basically dip in and then put in your food. But you're, it sounds to me like you're putting in a, a good bit of hot sauce in there. Yeah. Now it looks like you've made now I'm this other picture that I'm sharing looks like you've bottled it. And this is a habanero. This is what I was going to ask you before. So it's a habanero Fresno peach and garlic, all four. Yep. Okay. Well, let me share. Yeah, this I, other I, one. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I had about 40 habaneros. Oh yeah, there you go. So I, I like to, both for my reference and also just to share the love with other people um, to kind of show the quantities of what I'm using. And uh, yeah, you know, there's a, a lot of red, a lot of red in there. And I, I peeled a peach and, uh, you know, took the pit out and dropped it in to add a little bit of a, a sweet dimension to it. So I, I like to come up with flavors that complement each other, but still, you know, have a unique profile. Okay. So yeah, it looks like you have habanero. I see the garlic. It looks like you have maybe even a red bell pepper in there? Yeah, uh, we had a, I guess it was called a gypsy pepper plant, which puts out kind of medium-sized bell peppers, like not not the big square ones, but not the teeny bite-sized ones that you get in the store. And I didn't really know what else to do with those. So I was like, well, I'll throw that in there just for some extra content. You're the second person I know of that makes hot sauce. Oh, uh, gosh, popping popping capsaicin on Instagram. Yeah. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know Larry Talbot, but he's he's on yeah. Team Da Vinci as well, and and he and I like to compete together. Um, he's 
I've I've been I've been sending him my hot sauce every time I make because he loves spicy food too, and he and he keeps telling me that he's got some hot sauce from gosh what's his name is it Jody yeah. what no um, but it is a J I'm having yeah you know what I feel bad because uh, I do know the guy. I know Brandon. I do what well, Brandon Brandon yeah yeah that's yeah. His name. yeah that's Brandon. right. So Brandon makes hot sauces, gives them to Larry. Larry's like, you're going to love this one. And then he always forgets to bring it to a match that we both go to. So I still haven't had any of his stuff, but I'm looking forward to it one day. I, we'll I haven't had swap. any. I haven't either. I've been meaning to pick some up uh, whenever we're at Cavalier at the same time. I just mm-hmm. always forget to send him a message and say, hey, let me get some hot sauce. Plus, I haven't been to Cavalier in a while. GRB puts on a fun match, it's for sure. They do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like Chris and Tess. Yeah, I, I even shoot their um, IDPA matches. They're usually pretty good, too. So I enjoy their matches they put on. I've even shot the match they hold down in Richmond. Okay, the, I uh, wouldn't wear that. The indoor, yeah, They every Monday night they have a, an IDPA indoor match at um, Colonial Shooting Range there, right there on West Broad. Nice. <laughs> Now, before we actually get into the shooting, your Instagram says you're a high-speed driving school instructor. How'd you get into that? Yeah, high-performance high driving school instructor. Um, oh, okay. So, you know, I, even if you haven't seen it, you're probably familiar with the show Top Gear, right? It's That's been around for many years. Uh, the, the, the British version came first, and there's been some American spinoffs. But um, you know, top, on on Top Gear, you've got all the new sports and supercars that come out, and they they use their same you know racetrack that they have on their airstrip, and they have the the Stig, which is their constant from a driver standpoint, and they benchmark all their cars on this you know supercar list, and you know which one's the fastest in the world, and um, just growing up as an automotive guy or, or a fan of sports cars. Um, I always knew I wanted to buy a BMW M3 when I was, you know, working and, and could, could afford one. And so I ended up picking up an M3 back in 2009. It was used. It probably came off a lease in Arizona, uh, right in the bottom of the financial crisis, you know, February 25th of 09 was when I bought it. So March 6th was the bottom of that bear market. And so I got a great deal on it. I got it for under 20,000, shipped it out and, um, you know, started driving it and, um, you know, knew that I'd get in trouble if I just, played around on the street with it because i i had an acura um two-door acura before that and did a bunch of stupid stuff and got a bunch of tickets so i i knew i didn't want to go down that same route as my frontal cortex started to develop um you know i (laughs) I guess i turned turned 26 right before that so um anyway yeah so i I had this m3 which is an you know an iconic um uh, sports car in terms of you know german race cars and uh you know, I was like, man, I really, you know, I know, I know there's no way I can fly it over to Britain and get it on the top gear test track and see how I did in it versus their Stig. Not, not that it would be better in my favor. Um, and so I, I started looking up ways to get on racetracks and found the BMW Car Club of America, uh, BMW CCA, which, um, you know, anybody can join, but I do recommend BMW owners join it. They've got a great monthly magazine and um, they do events around the state like, drives to wineries or breweries on 151 or, um, you know, th- things like that, at least for our chapter. And um, then I found that they put on high performance driving schools and I'm like, Ooh, what's that? And so I, I learned about. This episode is brought to you by laser app, L A S R app. They specialize in laser dry fire training, super convenient and not to mention super cheap. 
You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30-day money-back guarantee. And it's veteran-owned, Semper Fi, Ben. You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell cert guns and the cert AR bolt so you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six-part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also, use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain. VIR, Virginia International Raceway. Which mm-hmm. VIR used to have used to have USPSA matches up until about two three years ago. Um, they they've got a shoot house with four rooms, so you're you know one one eighty is fluid. <laughs> one eighty is don't <laughs> point it at the RO with a timer, you know. Okay. <laughs> um, but it, you know it's super cool to you know roll through a house and and you know t- tagging targets and anyway. Um, so I learned about VIR um, uh, back in 2010, and so I signed up for my first high performance driving school. Bought a motorcycle helmet that was in spec. You know, I did everything on the cheap, but I, I just want to get on track. And so uh, I went down October 2010. And like most people, you know, you're hooked once you're out there uh, on a racetrack where there's no speed limits. And, you know, you got an instructor in the car with, you know, you know, communicators in your ear. You know, go faster, go faster, break. You know, you miss the apex by five feet. What are you doing? You know, Um <laughs> And uh, so it was, it was so much fun. And then, and of course, while you're there, you know, you learn there's a hierarchy in the sport, not unlike the classification system in USPSA. So when you, when you first come there, you're a D level student and they rate you on all these different metrics from a scale of one to 12. And when you move above threes in every category, well, now you get to be in the C class um, and then B, uh, B level student, and then A, and then above A, you can become an instructor. Or you can do the path that I did, which was I, I worked my way up to A and um, or as an, you know, an advanced student. And I took competition school to get my competition license so I could actually race in the club racing side of it. So you've got the high performance driving school funnel and then you've got the, the, the club race funnel, which I guess would not be unlike taking a bunch of private lessons from a USPSA shooter and then finally starting to get to matches. And then now it's not just locals. Now you do a sectional. Now it's not just sectionals. Now you're at area eight and then eventually you're at nationals. Right. And, and competing well at that level, you know, with, with peers of similar caliber. So, so I got into the, um, the, the club race side of it and, and had a friend that uh, would let me co-drive his car in endurance races. Cause I didn't have my own race car and you can't race a street car. Cause you gotta have a full cage and, uh, mm. fire suppression and detachable seat belt and the, all the safety equipment that it, you know wow. wouldn't pass a road legal test and a road legal car isn't safe to race and so so i had to drive other people's race cars but thankfully i was able to demonstrate via you know uh you know, videos on facebook or youtube that i was i was safe and competent and, and relatively fast and so you know i got to drive other people's cars which was really cool um, then I, you know, so, so then outside of BMW CCA, a lot of BMW drivers also race in NASA, which is national automotive sports association. And so they're just another club level 
Um, but they've got uh, race cars and pretty much any kind of car you could turn into will fit to a, a power to weight ratio class. So sort sort of an open uh, division of of racing. You just you, you just got to fit into these matrix, not unlike making power factor. And um, uh, and I learned there that the, you know they've got high performance driving schools uh, mixed in with their races. So you've got all the cool race cars doing their stuff. You've got students going out. You've got instructors. It's, it's a real busy weekend. But um, I learned that you know instructors don't pay to be at these events. They get to go there for free. Because they're taking their time with two students, you know, alternating, you know, maybe every every other 30 minutes going out on track, putting their life on the line, trying to teach these students how to be faster, safer. And, um, you know, I'm like, ooh, instructors, instructors don't have to pay to be there. That's free track time. Like, I, I can I can dig on that. Um, and then I learned that you could work as a worker at these events because they j- just like staff at a match. Right. You're going to shoot the match for free because you're putting in your time running the tablet or the timer or whatever it is. And so uh, that's where I found kind of my niche in terms of getting more and more free track time. And they had um, run groups where you don't have to give a point by the pass. So, so in on the BMW side of things, if, if, if I'm driving and you're behind me and you're just dogging me in all the corners and you, you could pass me at will, right? Um, but I don't know you're there because maybe I'm a new student or I'm not as aware. Well, you can't pass me until I give you a point by over my roof or mm. out my window to dictate which side. Hey, Dave, I see you. You're there. Pass me on the left side. You'll take the pass and you'll move <clears> on. <throat> I'll probably never see you again. And then, you know, c- conversely, if I'm dogging on somebody, I'm like, oh, gosh, I could get by this guy, you know, 50 different times, but he's got a big V8 and leaves me on the straights. But I catch him in the break zone and dog him in the corners. And, uh, yeah, I got to wait for point by there too. So, well, N- NASA's advanced group and instructors group, you don't have to have point buys. So it's very much like racing light, which is far more appealing as a, as a driver who tended to get caught behind other cars, particularly in the corners. Um, and, uh, you know, then some people there invited me to a group called track club USA, which is kind of the same as the, um, SVT club Cobra club with Mustang group. And, um, uh, you know, I basically, I, I demonstrated my ability to, uh, be a safe driver, but also my ability to distill complex information, in a relatable way, uh, which is really what my job is in the, in the financial world. Um, and, uh, so they're like, yeah, man, why don't you come be an instructor? We need instructors to make these events happen and to grow. And so, you know, using my experience at that point as a, uh, competition holding race car driver, my experience as an advanced run group student. And I'd, I'd even gotten to help out teach BMW CCA, uh, comp school for new students. So be an on track, on track instructor to go out and, um, you know, do drills with them, observe them at speed. And, uh, so all, all that put together, I became an instructor and started instructing at those events to get my free track time. So I work, work this one group, instruct with this one group. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that. So that's why it's in my bio, but BMWs is all you, uh, you race. Correct. Yeah. And it, and it's been, okay. it's been several years since I've been able to co-drive with somebody, um, my, my risk tolerance for going 140 into a break zone where you've got very small margins of, you know, what if I hit some fluid, someone else dropped down? What if I drop a wheel off track, you know, and having, having two small kids at home thinking, man, mm. you know, I, yeah. you know, my, so, so my, my risk tolerance started to drop at the same time I started to shoot USPSA, um, 
you know, in, in my own personal vehicle, my, my M3, um, which sponsored by Redline Oil, I'd like to plug my other sponsor here. Um, <laughs> da Vinci and Redline, thank you guys for all your support. Um, uh, when I'm out on track in my own car during the instructor run group, you know, when I'm at one of these events where I'm instructing and I'm out there just having fun, um, I'm basically able to run within 1% of my best lap, lap after lap after lap. And to push it past that just for the sake of having a lower lap time, you know, playing golf against the course by yourself. Well, that's great. I can shoot 77, 70, 70, 77. But man, to get that 76 or 75th might take hours in a sand trap or hours in the putting green. And you just kind of lose interest because you kind of hit a wall. And I didn't want to spend the money to fully convert it into a race car because it's still my daily driver. I drive it to all my matches. Um, And the bigger expense of most race car ownership that people don't realize is you need a tow vehicle and a trailer and, mm. and, and, and that in most cases can cost more, if not double what building a, a race car could be. Um, certainly there are, there are variants on that spectrum in terms of, you know, the equipment you use, but um, so yeah, my risk tolerance started to die down a little bit and um, you know, I, I, I might, I might get back into instructing again cause I do miss it. But uh, for now, you know, being an A class PCC shooter and a B class open shooter, I've got so much more room before you know i I run out of competition you know it's the great thing about uspsa is is it's it's a constant constant moving curve and so um that's that's really appealing to someone like me and that's that's where i am right now okay yeah the competition in uspsa will constantly it's very dynamic it will constantly be changing so i mean besides classifiers you're never going to shoot the same stage twice like that's really cool you know, when, when, when people ask me about, oh, well, what, what's a match like, you know, you know, h- how do you practice the stage you're about to shoot? Well, you don't, right? You, you can practice right. aspects of it. You know, I mean, I, I can set up a drill where I come around a barrel and, and, and hit a stacker that has a no shoot in the middle and start making that tighter and tighter and tighter. And, and then when I'm at a match where the no shoot has, you know, plenty of room in between it, well, it's, it's that much faster in and out. But, you know, yeah, I mean, every stage is its own little snowflake in that sense. And that's, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, even when they didn't, they may have done it this year. I don't know. I was trying to see how much they changed the stages from carry optics to open and limited. And I saw mm-hmm. some similarities, but I mean, you can take the a stage from one nationals, we'll say open and limited, just make a couple of changes. And now it becomes something almost completely different for production and PCC. So, right. You're always just having to practice those parts. Well, and, you know, to to um, Pat, uh, a fellow competitor of mine who's also running for Area 6 um, director, Ben Barry, on his podcast recently, he was talking about how, like, wouldn't it be cool to take the best stages that you've seen at the best locals and make up your sectional of those stages? Right. It's like, well, man, everybody loved that stage on Bay five. That was so challenging. Everybody's talking about it. Wouldn't that be cool to see again in a sectional? And so we take, you know, the best stage we've seen from GRB and the best stage we've seen from Fredericksburg and the best stage from Thurmont. And all of a sudden, you know, Delmarva's made up of this best, best hits list. And then and then in, within the sectionals, wouldn't it be cool to take the best hit list of the sectionals? And that's what Area Eight's made up of. And then to make nationals a best hit list of what you saw at all the different area matches. Cause no one's going to see all of those stages. 
you know, and of course, like you said, a small tweak here or there, a no shoot, a swinger, a changing where the activator is, but still like the concept of the stage layout and how it's going to, you know, force you to attack it or, or treat it or tweak it, you know, for PCC and open, you can put a 35 yard swinger out there. That's not reasonable for production, you know, right. It, not, right. not, not mixed with, it. so it's like, so, you know, anyway, just a little, um, little plug there for Ben. I enjoyed his podcast as well. Well, yeah. I mean, you could even put a 35 yard swinger out there for open. I feel. Oh yeah. I, but, I, but I those, think so. Those are about the only two divisions I would, I would do that too though. Right. So right. that's a, that's reaching out there. So when did you shoot your first gun? I was married. Um, so I'm trying to decide life. if, yeah, yeah. My, you know, I, I was born in Charlottesville, but grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, fourth grade through high school. And, you know, it, out in Texas, everybody had a lease that they went hunted deer on, or they had, you know, a bunch of land and, you know, pretty much everybody out there was, was hunters to just kind of overgeneralize. Well, my dad was a pastor and guns just, he was never anti-gun. He was just like, I don't know, why do we need a gun? You know, so I was like, all right, we don't we don't have guns in the house, so I'm not around them. I, mean, I had BB guns, um, which I guess could be technically the answer. Um, in fact, I SBR'd a pump Daisy BB gun. I, 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 I cut the barrel to right past the pump and the little plastic piece at the end just slides right on. And so I had this little like sh sh short barrel, uh, short barrel BB gun. Um, that's maybe that's where it all goes. Maybe that's where it all goes back to, but, <laughs> yep. but, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I actually, okay. My first time shooting a gun was an AK 47 after Thanksgiving night on a beach, which will remain anonymous. <laughs> um, it was my, 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 my cousin, Dave, um, God rest his soul, uh, enlisted in the army, 101st airborne. And this was the last time I saw him. It was, it was Thanksgiving and probably Oh five, if not Oh six. And, um, he had an AK 47 and he was, he was showing off, you know, field stripping it with his eyes blindfolded and everything. I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. And you know, it's, it's, it's late. Uh, everybody's asleep full of tryptophan from all the Turkey, super windy outside. So, so we, we pop over the dunes and we all squeeze off six or seven right into the surf, you know, um, no, no dead dolphins the next day. Uh, but I think that was the first time I ever shot a gun and, and it was loud because I, I didn't know about hearing protection. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by gun butter. Gun Butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it, like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun. It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it. After listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield, he loves it. Rob Epifania uses and loves it. Frank Shu uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout. Big old 762 yeah. going off. <laughs> yeah, those AKs are not quiet. Not at all. No, they're not. No. And I think, I think that was record, my first time. 
Okay. Wow. <laughs> on a Thanksgiving night, after all the football is over, we're going to go out and shoot AKs on the beach. Yep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so how did you from there find USPSA? Yes. So from there, I got married. You know, I, I think most USPSA shooters feel personal responsibility for their safety starts with yourself and then perhaps will end up with law enforcement assisting. So, you know, I, I wanted to protect my wife and I um, as, as newlyweds. And, you know, I was researching gun articles and I think the Ruger SR9C had just come out. And the thing that got me was it was the thinnest double stack mag on the market for the time, which I thought, well, if I'm going to get my concealed carry license, you want a thinner gun versus a thicker one. And I never was a fan of single stack um, personal defense weapons just because I prefer capacity. <laughs> case I need to get into a protruded gunfight. We're, we're both over the couch, you know, I, I don't know. Um, so uh, I ended up buying a Ruger SR9C and um, my brother had already my brother's six years younger than me he already had bought a 1911 it was a springfield gi spec uh, he let me shoot that and um he had built an sbr um uh, before i ever had an ar and so i, ha I had my ruger i knew i wanted an ar after i shot one and so right so i remember i, I want to say it was 2013 obama's um atf had opened up comments for something to do with SBRs and maybe it was just closing the e-forms window, but whatever, or, or no, maybe it was a change to the laws around ownership of guns with trusts. And so mm. I basically hurried up and copied my brother's gun trust, did an e-file for a strip lower that I bought and um, got my first SBR, you know, somewhat like a year later back then. And, uh, you know, so had my own SBR. Um, of course I'm, I'm, in the shooting community, there, uh, well, in the in the car racing community, there's also a lot of a lot of people that like guns, maybe long range stuff. And so, just the more I started to learn about it, um, the more you know, I, I acquired um, you know a gun here or there, like a shotgun, and started doing some trap and skeet because that was cool. So I had my shotgun, my AR, and my pistol, and I learned about three gun. Now I've never done a three gun match, but it was wicked, wicked appealing. So it's like, well, this is so cool. Look at these guys. Look, you know, watch, watch Jerry Mitchell I just go around and and ding, 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 boom, 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 boom. Um, and so like I like I was aware competition was out there, but just like when I was aware that there were racetracks and I didn't know how to get on there, um, I didn't know how to get to competition. So I was at VIR working a NASA event uh, with now a fellow USPSA shooter. Um, uh, Eric Wong, uh, Wonger. So uh, he and some of the other racers and I were hearing, um, you know, gunfire go off because I think Three Gun Nationals was being held at VIR that year. And so at, at, a, at a different event, or maybe it was the same event, you know, we got to know the facilities manager at the time and we're like, hey, what's all this gun stuff going on? Because you're obviously a facilities manager, you know. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's three gun. He's like, well, what's that? He's like, well, you bring a pistol, a shotgun, and a, and a rifle, and you use one, two, or all three of them on the same stage. And we're like, that sounds awesome. So he let us, maybe on a Thursday or a Sunday, it was either before or after the match had happened, he put us on three or four different stages and ran the timer and you know scored our hits and added the time for our misses. And so we, we all were out there. I mean, just imagine... 
a D-class shooter, but in all three disciplines out there doing three gun <laughs> stages, you know? And uh, um, so, yeah, so, so that's how we learned about that. Research then led us to USPSA. We're like, well, how do we get into USPSA? And we, and we learned that, oh, there's a classification system. Well, how do you get classified? We got to go to matches. And so the first USPSA match we did was at a range uh, whose name shall not be mentioned near Shadowhawk. And we did a steel challenge match mm. because we're like, okay, you can get, you can get classified in steel challenge. And, um, you know, I think the, I think the round count was like 200. Uh, I brought maybe 250. And by the end of it was PayPal and people for an additional 250 because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, man. That's you a know, lot of like, makeups. <laughs> oh, dude. I mean, you know, I, I remember, I remember the lady running the timer on my first smoke and hope run, which is like, like, I mean, that's, that's like the most hoser stage of all of them. Yes, I mean, that's, is. that's like, that, you know, that's like, can you count classifier, right? Wah, 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 wah. Um, and I think I'd put down like a, like a three, seven, nine. She's like, that was fast. I'm like, what's up? Um, of course the rest, of the, <laughs> the rest of the stages were not as fast. And I, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm out of mags. I'm like, what do I do now? Like I, I still haven't finished this <laughs> anyway. So, so that was, we, we learned about steel challenge. We all, uh, uniformly agreed. We didn't never, we didn't want to do steel challenge again. Um, <laughs> We we then learn about the Machine Gun Nest, which is an indoor range up in Frederick, Maryland, um, very close to where uh, Robert King, the owner of Red Hill Tactical, um, started making his holsters around that time. And so they held an indoor match every Thursday, um, including a classifier. So it was a, it was a four stage, including a classifier. And they just, you know, they have two bays and kind of break down one and set up the other like you do with indoor stages, um, you know, try to leverage as much room as you can without moving stuff and uh i make the trip up there um and and stay with my friend eric uh and then we drive up and shoot machine gun nest and um i mean gosh that's where keanu asai got started um uh i'm trying to think of a lot like who else is like maybe everyone would know on your podcast um th there were just there were a lot of good shooters that got started there in the maryland area and um, it was really neat to to kind of be a part of that. Looking back at it, um, you know, they they were there every week. And in fact, the the match director of the machine gun nest was getting these like you know letters or emails from USPSA. They're like, hey, um, it says you're the most active club in the country because you ran you know 48 classifiers last year. It's like, how did you do that? And they're like, no, seriously, it's just a weekly match. And you know, so um, that unfortunately got shut down. I don't know, sometime in 2019 or 18, where they just felt the match wasn't profitable compared to having all their lanes open at, in the evening. So, um, you know, that that went away. But but by then I'd learned about, you know, other locals and other matches. And so I know that was AK on the beach to USPSA, but that was that's the path. And I guess that's why we're chatting. That's that's a long drive from Roanoke all the way up to Maryland. Yeah, like I mean, that. Well, and, you know, of course, the, the kicker is, is if, you know, anyone knows about the 495 bridge across the Hudson, um, you want to get there before three or ideally before 230, because that's when all the accidents start happening and all the backup in the red on 66. So, you know, I, I basically take the day off um, and then half of Friday 
because I'd it'd take me four hours to get up to my friend's house. We'd hang out in the afternoon, maybe load ammo. That's where I learned how to load ammo. Um, a lot of funny stories at my expense there. Um, and, you know, then we drive up to the match and then we'd all go out to dinner somewhere afterwards and I'd sp- stay the night and leave the next morning. So, yeah, it was a long drive, but um, it was a lot of fun to get to know a lot of those people. And I didn't I didn't have a local shooting community yet, so I didn't have anybody to go to matches for. So as far as I knew, that was the match. You know, I mean, like 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 I knew there were other matches, but I was not comfortable at my D and C production level skill level. Like everybody starts out in production until you learn, oh, there's limited minor. That's so much more fun than all these mag changes. <laughs> you know, um, right. So, uh, and, um, you know, dur- during that season of driving up and back, we learned about two gun and I, I did do two gun, um, two, two gun matches at the range that shall not be named close to Shadowhawk. Um, and that, and that was a ton of fun. And that actually got me into a long range, a long range two gun match at VIR one year. Cause VIR has a thousand yard range and a bunch of different, uh, shooting lanes that go out to like six, seven, 800 yards. And so they, they put together, I think it was a Novesky sponsored two gun match where you, you basically hose a bunch of steel with your pistol, bucket it, get on the rifle and, you know, do your long range thing. Um, and so I, I guess I was, I was comfortable enough with competition by then to go by myself and not know anybody in my squad. Um, that was really the first time I stepped out and did something like that. And um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I lost my train of thought of where we were, but that's a little, little side story. Doing a little two gun too. So oh, you yeah. shot a PRS match, huh? One PRS match, yes. Okay, how did you like it? I loved it, and I'm going to love it even more now that I understand what the par time is for. <laughs> mm, okay. So, so, so my experience with par time was two gun, where you know, you know, in a in a big <laughs> old bay with. I don't know, maybe 25 steel targets you got knocked down and then, you know, some paper targets and whatever, like, you know, maybe you have 60 or 90 seconds to, to be doing both disciplines. Right. And if you, excuse me, and if you don't engage the targets, you get failure to engage penalties, um, you know, additional time added. And, you know, of course, you know, any target that gets left up is more time added. And so I didn't understand that, you know, a 90 second, eight target stage for PRS, it, it's far better to hit four of those targets and time out than to engage all eight in 65 seconds, like a good USPSA shooter would, right? Go fast, right, go fast, right. engage, right? Yeah. It's okay, Charlie's Charlie's Deltas, whatever. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't hit anything on a lot of stages because I went too fast. And, and, and I, I also didn't, I didn't know how to really trust my dope. You know, I, I didn't understand that when my Kestrel tells me to, you know, have 1.5 to the right, it's because the literal barrel twist is pushing the bullet a little bit over um, or, or left or you know, whatever it is. Um, and so one, once I got kind of halfway through the match and I'm like, wow, this dope is right on. And even my holdover you know, with the reticle is, is dead on. Cause you know, some, some stages have gimmicks like, you know, you can dial for the stage, but once you're on the stage, you can't dial. Right. So, mm. so, so like, I, I remember specifically there's a 700 yard, you know, 12 inch square and a 480 yard 12 inch circle. 
And so by, by this point, I'm realizing, okay, I, I'm going too fast to shoot well. I need to take my hits where I can. So I dialed for the 400 and figured out what my holdover would be for the 700. And I actually hit the 700 once with like, you know, from your perspective, it was like, I'm like holding right here, like way okay. up, you know, uh, and then hit three, three of the four on the close one. And so, so like, what, anyway, 32 o'clock ish, one o'clock, one thirty-two o'clock ish. Yeah. Two o'clock. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'd say, yeah. I'd say right on the two o'clock. Exactly. I mean, but it, okay. it was like, it was like seven up and four over and I'm like, I, I hope, you know? And so, um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I learned a lot and I hope a new PRS shooter can learn from my mistakes. It's, you know, far better to be taken three, four and five on the shots that you're most confident with and time out than engage everything. Cause I engaged everything just not well. <laughs> right. Well, and, and so, being someone who started in rifle, I would have put my dope for 700 absolutely. because I'd much rather put my reticle there. It's easier to hold off on a closer target than it is a much farther. Target. Yep. Yep. And, 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 and I, and I knew that too in principle, but at this point okay. I'm thinking, you know, I've got to game the system as best I can, you know, for where I am. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. starting to count my hits and, you know, I only had two stages where I, where I hit four. And I had many where I hit zero. And so, you know, uh, my gun is fully capable of hitting all those targets. I mean, it, it's a it's a 20-inch Wilson combat barrel, super sniper profile. I mean, you know, it's a ni ni nice heavy barrel. I run a, um, a Yankee Hill um, titanium phantom suppressor on it and, you know, a nice budget first focal plane vortex optic and 77 grain OTM ammo from Stand One Armory. And I, I hit the 1,000-yard target on the clock. There, there was a cool stage where you had like a, a 480, a 900, a thousand, and then an 1135. And so I had all my dope, you know, written down next to me and you can't engage the next target until you shoot the first one. So, you mm, know, pop, okay. bing, impact. Okay. Pop, pop. This episode is brought to you by Hoist. Hoist your IV level rehydrating electrolyte blend of sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. It's clinically proven to hydrate 110% faster than water. Chris Gelnet was on episode 63 and gave his own personal testimony. He had a bad experience with the heat at Area 8 in 2021 when temps were near 100 and the humidity was high. He was ready to quit with three stages to go. He had mentally checked out. Afterward, he listened to episode 48 with Rachel Trotta, Decided to try hoist, bought a case off Amazon, started using it at locals and found, hey, I'm not fatigued at the end of the day. So he took it to area five and at the end of the day, he was ready to shoot the match again. As a matter of fact, he even had a stage win on his last stage. Man, they have all the best flavors. They have watermelon, peach mango, dragon fruit strawberry lemonade grape and i'm sure i'm missing a few it's probably the only beverage that i've tried that i like all of the flavors you can buy it either in a powder and mix it with water or you can buy it pre-mixed whichever way you prefer but check it out get hydrated stay hydrated use casual shooter and save 10 percent, or be like chris and have a recurring subscription and save 15 percent impact pop pop bing yeah a thousand yard oh a thousand yard club you know <laughs> impact and i go to dial for 
the eleven thirty five and I ran out of elevation. Yeah. And so now I'm having to now I'm having to do math on the fly. Okay, I only had forty four up. I need like forty eight or whatever it was. And now so now I'm like, all I knew I also had to dial for wind. And so now I'm doing my Kentucky windage again. And man, it was splashing all around it, but I never hit that eleven thirty five. But um, it was such a great experience because just like every um, every shooting event I've ever been to, there's just great people everywhere and everybody's willing to help and, and everybody's offering you tips. And um, the ROs were very generous for me since I was shooting a gas gun. You're technically supposed to flip on the safety in between moving, you know, even just one foot over to a different position, you know, right. whereas whereas a bolt gun, you just leave the bolt open and then boom, you're down and you're back right. on it. And so, you know, PCC shooter, I'm just finger off the trigger. You know, I'm not flipping my safety on and off. That's not that's not a discipline that I practice. And so while I, I try to do that, they were just like, dude, you move the whole time without the safety on. I'm like, I'm sorry. Don't DQ me. Like, you know, like and they've, they've got the 120. It's not the 180. But right. but but the 120 doesn't apply to muzzle in the air. It's, Correct. it's just, you know, it's like it's like, OK, you know, this is similar enough, but it's different enough where. Um, there was a learning curve and, and certainly just, you know, trusting the dope was the biggest, was my biggest walk away. You know, I, I ended up hitting 16 out of 80 targets. I I think that was the target count, um, which wasn't last, which was ultimately my goal. And of course have fun. And I had a blast, but you know, there's, there's a lot that I would go, I will be going back to, uh, one or two of those this year. In fact, my buddy Keyshawn, who's in that picture with me, he's the one that got me into it, um, he's a part of a Thursday night group that we get together with a bunch of guys. Um, just kind of hang out, BYOB fire pit, you know, that kind of thing. Just solve the world's problems. Kind of a little, little, um, friend group, friend group that I've been a part of for about 11 years now. And, um, he, you know, so he got me into PRS and of course, you know, he knows a lot of people that do PRS and maybe two or three gun or Andrew USPSA, but he's never shot a USPSA match. So, um, we finally got his shooting schedule for his off season and my off season all lined up. We're going to go down to Sir Walter, uh, the first Saturday of November, and he's going to shoot his first match with his everyday carry, which is a Glock with a Timmy trigger. Um, and so you know, I, I told him, you know, Hey, I'll do my everyday carry as well, which is a CZ P10 full size. And, uh, so we're both going to run limited minor, uh, just to kind of get him into the sport and, you know, wet his whistle. Um, I really want to shoot open, but, um, once we get into the bullet test, we'll talk about why I'm not going to shoot open for this particular match, but, you know, just to keep things on a level playing field with him so we can follow my stage plan, you know, mag change here, you know, whatever there, you know, go for the alphas. We're going to get a training session in sometime in between now and then um, just to kind of, you know, talk them through some of the basics that you, that you'd want to know going to your first match that I didn't necessarily. So that's my PRS story and the parlay and the pulling him over to the USPSA side. All right. So two important questions uh, before we move on is your scope in minutes or mills? It's MOA, which okay. is the opposite, which is the opposite of what everybody uses. Except me. I use, and- I use MOA. You do? Okay. Everybody uh, there was using mills. I know. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> They're not American. Well, and I, and it's it, all good. It, and, 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 you know, that's another thing I didn't know any better. Is like, like, I've only heard MOA in any sort of rifle discussion until you get into the PRS circle. And, and you know, right. maybe there have been mill out there, but, you know, like it just, that, that just isn't prevalent, at least in my... Um, building up to it in any sort of gun community. So yeah, shoot, shoot MOA. Okay. 
I like it. I, I use a, I actually use a second focal plane scope because I prefer that. Um, mm -hmm. And eighth of an MOA adjustment. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So they're finer adjustments than mill. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, MOA is a finer adjustment than mill by its very definition, um, particularly, yes. you know, on a, on a, on a click to click basis. But right. um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I think as a first time shooter, a second focal plane would have been a better tool for me to have because, you know, hey, I've got 25 zoom. Well, yeah, I'm going to use that. Well, I'd lose targets going back and forth between stuff. And, Just, you know, yeah. when 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 Keyshawn was telling me, he's like, dude, trust me, don't go past 15 on the zoom. I'm like, but I need the zoom. Right. Like I'm like, I, I don't want my little dot in the middle to be basically covering the target. I want to, you know, here's me thinking I'm going to spot my own trace and I'm going to watch where my bullet hits. And because I'm so zoomed in, I'm just going to make that adjustment or, you know, move the gun a little bit. So, yeah, I, I, I towards the end, 15 was it. I mean, until I, until we got to the thousand, I'm like, yeah, I, 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 I need to actually find the target. I need that 25. But, yeah, that wasn't as much of a moving back and forth, you know, several hundred yards in terms of finding the different uh, arrays to engage. How, how bad was the Mirage at a thousand? Uh, this range starts with the sun in your face, which created it's a uh, pig river Valley, um, uh, which is down past Smith mountain Lake. What's the city down there? Well, anyway, um, pig, pig river puts on a really great high quality match. All their barriers and barricades are, you know, permanent and, and very dynamic. But, um, there's a, there's a valley uh, a few hundred yards out that you're shooting over. And as the sun is heating that up, there was actually updraft that was pushing my bullets 20 feet over a target shoot two, two, three. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on the dope. They're like, we don't see anything. We don't see anything. I finally figure out I'm probably putting them over the target. And so I, I, I drop it down and start hitting at the, at the post of one. And then we can kind of dial it in from there. But um, yeah, the, the, the thousand wasn't bad. So at that point, the sun was either above or behind me. And um, it was, it was, it, it wasn't that bad. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of modern day sniper? Uh, I've heard yeah. of it. It's two guys. It's Philip Vallejo, and I'm trying to remember the other gentleman's name. Um, Kalen Wojcik. If you ever okay. get a chance, no, they, they they run classes there. Uh, they were there mm -hmm. last November. I was going to try to run down there and meet up with those guys because we're all former Marine snipers. Um, oh, right on. They might be. If yeah. you ever get a chance to take a class with them down there, I highly suggest Yeah. It. Well, I, I know Keyshawn's taken a class with a really high-level competitor, and that really helped his game. Um, and, and, you know, what, what I need to do is, is find a friend up near Quantico. Well, I've got plenty of friends up there. I just need to ask somebody, um, cause I, I want to do Tim's PRS match, um, that he puts on after his gas oh, yeah. gun match. It, yeah. So he's, yeah, you know, every, 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 every time, every, yeah, yeah. So that'll, that's, that's all my list sometime next year is to make, to make that a stop. But for, for, okay. for now, for now, it's usually... First, first Saturday of the month down North Carolina at Sir Walter, and and they put on the best level one that I've ever been to. It's eight stages, uh, just so dynamic. It it it's a really great prep for majors, um, and worth the drive for someone that needs that kind of challenge. And then third third Saturday I try to make GRB, um, and then you know 
North Carolina State, Virginia State, Maryland State, Delmarva, Area 8, Area 6. And um, finally got to shoot the Carolina Reaper this year, which is Chris Tilley's match. You know, he's, he's scheduled it the last three years and had to cancel because there's, you know, 30 people signed up and I guess he can't get help. But this year uh, he was able to put it on. Unfortunately, we shot on Friday, which was tornado. What is it? It would, it's, it's, it's either watch or warning and, and you do the taco thing, right? Like warning, I might eat a taco or, I, you're watching me to talk. I forget that. Anyway, whatever it was, it was like tornadoes were in the area. We were getting drenched. We were a five person squad that should have been done by noon. And we still finished at like three 30 or four. Cause we were just huddled under tents most of the day watching, you know, water washed by our feet. But um, the match itself was incredible. Like if I could shoot that on a dry day, I'm definitely gonna shoot that next year. But I know you didn't ask me about my match schedule, but I just gave it to you. <laughs> That's okay. It sounds like the Caribbean open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know gosh i still remember that slow motion video of jj's foot sweeping into position in water spraying off to the side yeah it's crazy all right so i had some other stuff but we've been <laughs> chatting for a while so we need to get into this testing stuff uh, yeah 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 all right so you've done a couple of different tests mm -hmm. you did your first one was i believe um, a 160 grain test, correct? Correct. There, there it is. That, that red and that red and blue. Yeah. All right. Let me. I'll redo the. Uh, these were both 160 grains, correct? Correct. Okay. And it looks like you did a chrono and an accuracy. I, we're going I did. To? I was going to. I, I learned a lot from this test. Um, okay. I I learned how many people like to um be keyboard commandos <laughs> um yeah i i you know um but th that's fine i've got a thick skin um i i also learned that i don't know there there's there is no perfect ammo test um and as, as soon as you say well well this is how i would have everything set i'd be able to give you an example about how it changes another dynamic um and so there is no perfect ammo test and, you know, uh, everybody that, you know, reaching out online, you know, pooping on my tests or saying that I'm pooping on a bullet manufacturer when I'm not, um, like, they're not writing field and stream being like, hey, why'd you test Spear 124 plus P jacket hollow point and then a 147 from Winchester and a, a 90 grain from Barnes, like, like a self-defense ammo test is intrinsically, everything is different. Everything is different. Um, and so, you know, with an ammo test, there's, there's going to be differences. Um, the biggest thing that I learned is, uh, and, and, and I might, I might do the 160 again. Um, it's unfortunate. I loaded all of the 160 that I had. Um, what was interesting was the case gauge failure rate was astronomical with the blues. Um, I think it's because it's overall length for how I have my dies set, it was squishing the nose and you can see a profile change picture in a different post. And I think that was, you know, because I run the Lee undersized die, um, uh, ever since I watched David Wampler do a little um, FYI video on setting dies and things like that, particularly for nine major, when you've got a really full case of powder, um, you know, he was talking about the Lee undersized die, which kind of makes a little bit of a bow tie effect in the middle of the case. And it keeps the bullet from mm. having setback to becoming a compressed load or, you know, 
I mean, nine majors already way out of Sammy spec, but to, you know, to making it a, a dangerous, a dangerous round. And so I, I run an undersized die for that reason. And I think, you know, un, un, unless, I mean, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give blues the benefit of the doubt that it's not a bad bullet. That's not a bad material. That's not a bad profile. And that perhaps it was my dies, but the case gauge failure rate was astronomical. Um, the fact that the majority of them case gauged was fine, but I found it very odd that, you know, none of my reds failed case gauge and maybe 24 blues did. Um, and so like, that was just a really high failure rate. So, you know, I, I had the same powder charge, you know, the same mixed brass, same primer, same gun. Um, and when the chrono was so much lower, you know, I had to ask myself, is it the coating that that's that much different? Is it the shape of the bullet after it got deformed a little bit? And so I didn't do the accuracy tests because the feet per second difference was so wide, um, particularly on the lower side. I felt that that would be doing a disservice to the bullet manufacturer throwing stuff out that are, you know, however many feet per second slower, which, you know, in 160 grain terms, you know, I, I push my, my red bullets from Summit City anywhere from like 790 to 810 feet per second. Like it's not moving very fast. In fact, um, when we look at some of the 124 grain nine major, um, well, actually, I, I didn't, I didn't accuracy the nine major. I, I did it with 5.1 grain um, for my PCC's sake. But, but even with the 124s going, you know, 1300 feet per second, they were several inches off the bullseye to the right from where my 160s would hit. And one of the pictures actually shows shows a good example of that. But um, yeah, so I did the first test. Um, I was really excited to get my hands on the blues. You know, the Blue Bullets um, sponsors the Carolina Classic every year. Uh, they put on a great match. They're a great company. I've used their 200 grain and 165 in my 40. I used their 147s and 125 profile, like the 125s in, in open. Um, and so when they came out with 160s, you know, I didn't want to commit to a whole flat rate box of it, particularly if something <laughs> like this happened with my testing. Um, and so they were very generous at the Carolina Classic. It's like, man, take a couple handfuls, test them out, test them out. And so, you know, how do I take my usual red bullet load and compare it to a, a die adjustment if that's what needed to happen with the blues and have a completely different overall length and different in, inside pressures. And so, you know, I was it a great test? I, I mean, probably not. Am I glad I did it? Yeah, I, I learned a lot. Um, would I add parameters like I did for the 124? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did the test. The 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 only fair thing to say was, is that the blues didn't case gauge very well. And, you know, what's the product of that? We can speculate on bad brass in the mixed batch or the dyes need to be adjusted. So uh, I don't know. Real, all right. So I have a question. Did they yeah. just not case gauge because the overall length, like, did you have the case gauge sitting flat on a table and the nose uh, of the uh, round hit the table? So no. it wouldn't go. No, no. So, so I've got, um, a 3d printed tray that bumps my, uh, hundo gauge, you know, up where okay. you could, you could never, you never have a bullet hit the ground. So it, okay. it was, it was case deformation. Um, and something that I oh. always do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the case, you know, coming into the case, it would bulge to the side and it, wow. and it certainly wasn't, it certainly wasn't running into powder 
because 2.5 grains of powder looks like there's hardly any powder in there. Um, right. That's what that's why I like to, that's why I like to visually inspect every single um, you know uh, case as it goes by before I put my bullet in. So it wasn't running into powder. Um, my guess is is it was running into the undersized crimp. And so you know, could this have been solved without adjusting my height and adjusting where my undersized crimp is? Yeah, I, I guess so. But I've got that set for the 160 profile and all my 124s work with that profile too. So, you know, it, 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 it wasn't running into the bottom. I always run any ammo that doesn't case gauge back through my set and crimp die because, you know, every, every once in a while, particularly with mixed brass, you'll get like a military crimped primer and instead of punching it out, it'll can open it and it'll stick in the in, in the um in the plate as it rotates in between positions and, and and it'll stick and like almost the resistance of the press will will finally rip it off but that may throw two cases full of powder into the next position and shake some powder out and at 2.5 grains i can't afford to lose any powder and not make power factor because i had that happen on two of my whole batch and you know now i'm dq or you know not, now i'm shooting for fun well still shooting for fun but not getting scored um, right. So anyway, anytime, anytime I have something that screeches my press to a halt, I always take all the bullets out and just kind of start over because um, I have loaded um, a squib before and I'm positive it happened because something happened with the press. It stopped. I never got the full powder charge or didn't get the powder charge and I end up loading a bullet and sending it through and it case gauges because of course it does. So I take any round that isn't case gauged and I just assume it got seated partially crimped or maybe not and in a lot of cases running it back through the dies resolves the problem because usually it's a half made bullet or you know not a completely made bullet um so i did that with all the blues as well ran them back through all the gauges still didn't case gauge so i you know i i think i think it was either running into the the crimp of the uh case from the undersized die and then tilting a little bit but okay. but i don't understand i don't understand why all the other ones didn't do that too so all the bullets lost their pointy profile and came down a little bit. And then mm. most case gauged, but some didn't. And so, you know, we, we, we could probably spend the rest of our time on the podcast speculating about why it didn't. The fact is it didn't. And I wish I'd saved some blues so I could play around with something different. Um, and I'll just probably end up biting the bullet proverbially and, and buying some and, um, and giving them a second shot. Cause I, I really enjoy blues um, and they ship fast and they're great customer service, but this test just didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I, I was really hoping for an apples to apples in almost every way. And, you know, then, then it comes down to accuracy. It comes down to the coding, you know, versus the high tech. I, I don't know. It didn't. Now, have you reached out to blue bullets to see if they have an answer? And the reason I'm asking is I yeah. had a problem with my rival. Let me grab it. Okay. Now, so this this is what I shoot, right? So no mag, chambers empty, nothing in there. But when I first, so this is my second one. The the first one I got went back to Canic, and right. I was shooting it. I, I uh, all the ammo case gauged perfectly fine. I always like you, I case gauge everything. Everything was perfect, great. I go to a range. I was having some issues where I didn't know if I was having light primer strikes or what, but they looked fine. 
but there was no detonation and I kept running into the problem. Finally, I'm on this one stage. It's a classifier and Todd Jarrett is the RO. This is at Fredericksburg. Mm -hmm. And the very last shot on the classifier, when it goes bang, I feel stuff on my hand, on the bottom, Get on the of, top. Out of battery discharge. I had an out of battery discharge. And thank God yep. Todd was running the stage because he's like, do you know what just happened? I was like, no, I don't actually. Yeah. And he goes, you had an out of battery discharge. And I'm like, okay. So I called Canic. They were like, send us your gun. We'll take a look at it. I sent them the gun. Um, well, actually, I did a couple of tests first. So what I found was, even though it passed the case gauge, it would not pass the plunk test. Fair. Yeah. And I was like, what in the world? So I have multiple canics and an aftermarket barrel for one of my SFX, the original mm -hmm. 5.2 barrel. And so... I did a plunk test with all of them with like four or five different barrels and they worked in all of them, but the new barrel. Mm. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So then I'm like, okay, now I got to figure out what in the world is going on and ended up calling uh, the owner of brass monkey bullets. And we chatted for a while, probably a good half hour, 40 minutes. And it, it's all about the, he was saying how the coating on those bullets are thicker than normal copper jacketed bullets. So they're mm -hmm. fatter. And mm -hmm. if the um, shape of that ogive isn't right and it's fatter, then you're going to get it where it's going to hit the lands and grooves and either go in or not. And on that one, so that's what I found out was going on. It wasn't quite going in far enough to where the firing pin could get a good solid hit on the primer. So... That that's why I'm asking. Have you reached out to Blue Bullets to see? No, and I should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, speaking of battery discharges, uh, most of the time, when it doesn't case gauge, but it's like just barely, you know, like like if if I've got just a little bit of brass sticking up, I attribute that to a slightly longer brass manufacturer. And in all my in in all my PCCs in the past, I'll I'll. I'll chamber it and I'll see if it's running into rifling or if it, or if it chambers, you know, I might do a one-off, just pop it at the range. Cause what else is it good for? I'm not going to run it a match as in case gauge, but you know, just right. barely out of spec. Well, I did that with a blue and I had the same thing. All of a sudden puff of smoke mag shoots out the bottom. Oh, feel, you know, I feel like I got punched, feel like I got punched in the lip cause cause the Vinci's have a side charging handle. So basically the, the upper is open on both sides. So it's, oh, and you know, I was like, okay, don't <laughs> chamber out of spec ammo, you know, because, um, you know, the, the Da Vinci chamber can take the pressure of nine major, but no chamber should take an out of spec round that isn't getting all the way in the chamber. So I learned a lesson, right. thankfully, safe, you know, still safe and sound, but learned a lesson there for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you see can see there? on... On yeah, on the first picture, the tip of the blue is definitely longer than the red, and then there it's been flattened, and it actually looks shorter. Yeah, I that's the Summit City bullet. Correct. The the okay. red Summit yeah. City, yeah. Right. So yeah, it's shorter. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah. So I mean, this is this is a this is a phenomenon I've never experienced. You know, I've 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 loaded different 200 grain bullet profiles back to back to back to back to back and 124s, 147s, and so. I mean, you know, the the word assumption obviously always makes the person using it look stupid, but I just assumed 160s would just load back to back to back too. But clearly there was some changes going on and and it's happening in the press, right? So I'll definitely reach out to Blue and say, hey, you know, here's, here's what happened. Any recommendations without having to redo all my settings? Because right now, 124 open major and 160 PCC all work exactly how my dies were set up. And I'd frankly prefer to keep it that way. So, you know. Right. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I ended up finding out that I've got to load mine extremely short. So like 108 to 111. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I'm, I'm so, 1.1 and under on everything. Okay. All right. So now recently you, you did a 9 millimeter major test. So let me mm -hmm. oh, actually... I can. So before we start pulling up, um, all right well here, we'll start there. So what did you? What were? So what were you testing? That's this one, right? Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, adjust okay. it too. So. Um, yeah. So what was I testing? So, uh, I, in the off season, since I like to shoot open, um, I, you know, got all my PCC powder out, got my open powder out, you know, and started, you know, st started prepping for, to shoot open in some practice and, um, you know, go, you know, maybe shoot at Sir Walter, et cetera. And, you know, I've got all these, all these 125 grain blue bullets, which have always worked great. Um, also during the pandemic, when, um, ammo components started getting harder to get, you know, I was getting, um, discord push notifications. Like I've got one on my phone right now. I didn't look at what it was, but you know, I set it up where I get notifications on in stock rifle and pistol powder in stock, uh, you know, small rifle, small pistol primers, small Magnum, and then projectiles, you know, cause I didn't have a ton of projectiles, but I knew I didn't want to run out of them. And, you know, in sort of the scarcity mindset slash, wanting to be prepared mindset. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd scoop up a powder, even if I didn't understand what its use was for, knowing I'd probably be able to liquidate it later at, or at a match to somebody or, you know, grab some primers. And so I started doing the same thing with bullets. Because um, particularly back then, bullet lead time was, you know, months out. You know, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember, but, you know, yeah. Blues might be like, hey, it might, it might be 11 weeks. And like, right. you know, I get it. You know, they're running a business and they're getting components and they've got their side of supply chain and all that. But I didn't want to run out of bullets. So I started getting into different manufacturers. And that's when I learned about Summit City and Bayou Bullets. Um, and so I grabbed, you know, Bayous for my limited gun and grabbed Summit City for um, a PCC. And then, and then I learned, I'm like, whoa, there's a 160? Because I've always preferred heavier bullets over snappy. And, and I, I may progress into a snappy bullet, but, you know, like a slow 200 grain. I mean, I, I, I can't really improve my splits much more just based on recoil impulse. And I like how the gun has perceived less recoil than when I use a 165 or a 180. Um, and so I was like, well, let me try that with PCC too. And I really liked the slower bullet with less dot movement 
because it let me focus more on what I need to be doing with the rest of my body, not what I'm feeling on the gun. And I think everybody's a little different on that. And particularly now that I've got my DaVinci with um, the shield manufacturing roller delay buffer system, that's really tunable to your ammo. I think that's what will eventually have me maybe cross down to a more snappy round. But, uh, but yeah, so, so I'd accumulate all these different bullets and I wanted some 124 grain jacket hollow point just from a, you know, to be able to have a self-defense round or, you know, something in the, if the boogaloo happens, you know, I've got some hollow points. So I, I, I found myself with, well, I've got a bunch of blue 125s and then I've got Hoosier bullets and 124, uh, which are both, uh, well, yeah, Hoosier bullets and 124, Summit City and 124, and both of those are high-tech coded. Blues, obviously, are their blue coding, and then I have the jacketed hollow point. And so as I was starting to load ammo, I was like, well, I got all these 124s. I'm going to shoot them some point in time. I wonder if one of them is intrinsically better than the other. And if so, um, you know, maybe use those at matches and practice with the others or whatever. Right. So, so I just wanted to gather some data and um, certainly learning from the 160 uh, about what I couldn't do just because a, you know, the case gauge rate was so high, um, you know, for whatever reason. And so I didn't want to do the accuracy test. It's like, well, Hey, I, I really want to get this test more well-rounded with more metrics of data. And so I just tried to think of as many as I could get, um, you know, with about 75 or 80 rounds of each load. So I wasn't going to, uh, you know, I don't know. That's, that, those are kind of my parameters. So I, I wanted to keep the same, okay. um, I want to keep the same controls, same powder, same powder charge, um, you know, same die settings, same press, same primers, same mixed brass batch, and just do all, you know, all these four different bullets. And so I, I loaded them all up and, uh, over the course of a few different days at the range over the last few weeks, I uh, compiled, you know, a bunch of data. Okay. And yeah, I mean, you'll, I, I know what you mean about the keyboard warrior type thing. Um, but if nothing else, you're finding out what works best in your gun with those, those items set up. That, that, that yeah. I mean, that's, that was my primary goal. And then when I learned that I might be able to share information with other people, and that they could, you know, maybe, maybe they can make an improvement on one aspect of the test or, or, you know, just like if, if I can help somebody, I'm going to share the information, you know, even, even if it leaves me vulnerable to criticism, that's fine. You know, I mean, heck, we wouldn't be building a relationship here if I hadn't put this information out there and you reach out and want to talk about it. So, you know, yeah. to me, to me, making a new friend in the shooting communities is, is a win, even if, you can ultimately conclude, well, all the data is so similar it's inconclusive. Well, if that's, if that's how someone wants to look at all of what I got, maybe, maybe it is, you know, maybe that tells everybody that already has a bunch of these different bullets at home that they're all good to go compared to the others. Great. Stick with your manufacturer, you know, particularly if you're sponsored, you know, now, you know, you're not missing anything by some other manufacturer. So I just, I like to help. That's why I share, share my recipes for food and share my data for bullet tests, I guess. Right. So this looks like all of the data that you compiled between the different projectiles. Correct. Yeah. So I, I, I posted a picture of uh, both targets that I used. Um, mm -hmm. my, core, my core notebook, which ultimately I've kind of turned into 10 different metrics. Two pages that give summaries of the metrics and then sort of a, a scoring system, which is very rudimentary. And I don't think 
weighted at well, you know, weighted at all well. But I'm like, well, let, let me at least, I don't know, let me do something to start and and move on from there. So, yeah, this this is this is all the data, which you know anybody can find on my Instagram. Um, the handwriting might suck a little bit, and feel free to ask me a question if you can't read it. But you know, I I wanted to see. You know, I think it's reasonable for a shooter to know what kind of bullet weight loss do you get when you pull a bullet at chrono, right? Like, I mean, particularly for people that dance around minor power factor or major power factor limit, you know, right. you don't, you don't yeah. want to, you don't want to go in with a 125 and you find out it's a 124.5 and you're shooting right on the edge of velocity or the, the atmospheric pressure of the day that you're shooting or the temperature or the elevation all changes your ratio, you know, or um, like my friend Eric that I used to stay with, he was the only person that failed major power factor at area eight um, last year. So he was the only open shooter that shot open minor on, on accident. Um, and it was because it was because his chrono, his chrono was reading higher than it should have been. So oh, there's, 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 wow. there's a call to, there's a call to Caldwell, right? He thought he was coming in with 168, 169. Well, he ended up with 164.9. And Yikes. so it's like, oh, so, 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 so so there's there's variables, right? And 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 he's not. I mean, he's not the kind of person that's trying to like be cheap with his components. Um, you know, he's like, all right, I've got a load. I tested it. It looked good. I show up. It's not good at this elevation on this day. And so, um, so anyway, I start out. I I literally took you know bullet number one, um, loaded it through my press, uh, no powder, just to be safe, and I isolated all this ammo. And you know, I put a little a little one mark on the bottom of the brass. Bullet number two, two marks. Bullet number three, three marks. Next bullet type or you know, manufacturer. So I end up with 12 bullets that are all marked very distinctly. I've weighed each one of those projectiles beforehand. And I weigh each one of them afterwards after I pull it with my inertia bullet puller. And I found that you know blues and the precision delta lost no weight at all. They came out as they came into the um, casing. The Summit City and the Hoosier, which both use high-tech coatings, had a small um, scratch off of that coating based on how it went in. And, and, I, and I had plenty of flare on the case, too. Like, I know I wasn't under flaring my, um, my casings, but, but those consistently across the board, every single one of those three projectiles for each lost 0.1 grain. So, boom, we got a data point, right? So now that I know with all the velocities that I do later that I'm... I know what my grain is, at least on my three sample size. Should it be more than three? Well, yeah, the more data you get, the better. But it was a lot of work to load 12 rounds yeah. individually and pull 12 rounds and weigh them before and after. And and I've got a picture of every single bullet before and after. I've got a picture or a video of every aspect of my data. And nobody wants to see all that. But I have it in case someone's like, did you really do that? Yes, I did. And I can show you. So, you know, it was a lot of work documenting that. So we got bullet weight. Once I got bullet weight, um, I took, you know, overall length of six different cases. Because, again, that's work. I'm, I'm writing down into the ten thousandths of an inch. Um, and I decided to make that, you know, not, not a who wins or loses in terms of, like, this is the longest one. This is the shortest one. Because all the bullets are slightly different. So, I'm, you know, like, that's not mm -hmm. a metric I can, can give a, a win or loss to. <clears throat> but I, I found it interesting that Summit Cities had the least amount of spread in terms of what the longest and the shortest was. And then uh, blues and Hoosiers had the same amount of spread and that the precision Delta had the widest amount of spread in terms of longest to shortest, just of the six that I grabbed. 
is is six too few to somebody it is to me that's the, that's what i went with and, and and now i've got an idea of which bullets are loading a more consistent overall length because particularly with an open gun where to to quote a north carolina friend of mine um custom guns come with custom problems and so the the for sure the more you the more you can reduce variances in your customization which obviously ammo is a big one um i was just curious so you know all right so now now i've got what the average is and what the extreme spread is of that overall bullet length um and of course we're talking 35 thousandths to 110 hundredths as the as the the biggest to smallest gap but all right it's a metric right so i've got some data that that's all i'm trying to do is get data um I did take 10 bullets and weigh them uh, of each one to get an average bullet weight of what's actually coming from the factory. So, um, you know, Summit Cities, that are, they say they're 124. Their gross weight was 124.4. So they came in overweight. Precision Delta came in at 124.6. So that came in overweight. Blues came in at 125.4 on average. That came in overweight. And um, Hoosier came in underweight at 123.8. And so, you know... Again, this is not a, a, a bad or not. I think if you're going to be reloading mass quantities of any one of these bullet manufacturers, you're probably going to weigh a lot of them and have an idea of what the pull weight is on average so that you can base a power factor around it, right? So, again, no winners or losers there. I'm just gathering data. So that was another metric. Um, obviously, Chrono. But, and if you have any questions, I'm, I'm just kind of running through everything. I don't, I don't want to talk over you. Right. Well, now I'm looking at the sheet. I see where you have looks like 125.4 grains for blue, 123.7 grain for green. Correct. I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing where you wrote it down for red or the jacketed hollow point. I didn't. And you're right. And and that okay. was because I realized um well, actually, no, I didn't realize. So that's a good catch. Ba basically, if you flip back a page or to my first page that has um, pieces of paper torn out in the corners, and in the middle there is where I've got what each of the bullets weigh. And then I use the subsequent data at the top of that page about bullet loss. And basically, the reason why you see, you know, 125.4 for blue, but 123.7 for green is because the green and red each lost 0.1 grain. And I just failed to notate that on the, on the chrono page, but all, but all the data is based off of the gross weight minus 0.1 grain for red and green. And then the actual gross weight for blue and precision Delta. But that's a good catch in terms of documentation. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So this is the page you're talking about here that I have on the screen now. Correct. Yeah. So okay. that, that middle section, that middle section is the 10, of each average weight, the top right. is where we know that green and red lose 0.1 grain. So I simply took the green and red average and knocked 0.1 grain off when I calculated power factor on the next page. Okay. All right. Makes sense. That's a that's a pretty strong power factor for all of them. Yes. Um, and what <laughs> I didn't want to what, what I didn't want to do is well first of all i've never loaded cfe pistol before all my open uh, nine major has been uh hs6 
And when I was able to get my hands on some CFE pistol, I, I read that it, it takes a lower charge weight at least to get the similar power factor and it, and it burns a little cleaner. So I, I want to play around with that powder as well. So I got my own little internal HS6 for CFE pistol data because at seven grains of HS6, at least out of my gun, that produces 171 power factor. You can see here that at 6.8, we're anywhere from you know, 185.5 to 183.8. And yeah. so less, less powder, significantly higher power factor. Um, and so, you know, uh, this, this is part of me even reverse engineering my own load for CFE pistol. But what I, what I didn't want to do is come in kind of like the summit city in the blues. If there was going to be a bullet issue that was slowing it down significantly. I didn't want that to be an outlier in this test. So I want to make sure everything was going to be over major and just, you know, there, there we are. There's my powder charge. So, right. So now so you're yeah. starting, how did, how did you come up with your, did you find a, some reloading data to give you a starting point or did you just swag with, it with C with, with CFE pistol or with HS? Yeah. CFE pistol. So I, I, I've, I've read, reloading data on forums that people say you know for my gun i use seven grains of hs6 6.6 of cfe pistol and so i knew that 6.6 and lower would probably still make power factor but i was like well we're already rolling the dice with sammy spec here anyway um i'm just gonna knock it down to 6.8 from a seven and then now i've got an observation about what that that difference is because i knew it would be more than seven grains of hs6 in terms of power factor um, and, and since I haven't changed the dial except to load 5.1 grain for the accuracy test, um, this is just my first data point. So yeah, I sort of winged it, but I sort of had some background knowledge and I bumped it up, um, just for the test sake to make sure I didn't have something come in and under major and that be a talking point. Okay. So overall, how happy are you with the results of your test? I'm pretty happy. Um, I was also really happy. Uh, you know, I went on. So the reason why I didn't do an accuracy test with my Rock Island, I did it with the PCC, was twofold. One, even on the sandbag, I was using an 8 MOA dot through my CTS-2 um, from Seymour is a pretty big dot at 17 yards in terms of like trying to have a specific point of hold. And you've got all the additional handgun, you know, user error possibilities. And I thought that an accuracy test out of a handgun off a sandbag would probably not give me as accurate results that I wanted. So um, I did not do an accuracy test with the Rock Island for that reason. Um, I figured accuracy for these bullets would be primarily determined by how the manufacturer makes them and their coating. Um, I figured all things equal with the same powder charge, with the same primer, with the same die settings, that the, the internal pressures are going to be relatively close in the amount of SAMI spec we're talking. And so I figured this was more of a coding and a manufacturer's process test in terms of accuracy. So I didn't see a problem with lowering the powder charge down to shoot out of my PCC because, you know, knowing that I'm running 185 out of a handgun, I might be over 200 in my PCC at, at, at that 
you know, at that velocity. And so um, while I know Da Vinci makes incredibly robust firearms, that was unnecessary stress to put on the components that, you know, over time, the components wear down, you know, vi vibration right. and explosions break guns. So um, uh, I, I did end up chronoing five rounds of each through my PCC towards the end. So I was like, you know what? I know I can take it. Um, let me just see what that feels like. And what was really interesting was all four rounds shot softer in the nine major configuration than the 5.1 grain configuration. That's weird. Yeah. And I, uh, I have to assume that's how I have my um, shield roller gelay buffer set up with the spring combination. It, it was just, it was softer and you know, I, it just, that that's an observation that I made. Now, does that mean I'm going to start running nine major at my matches because uh, it feels softer than the other 124s? No, because both of them didn't feel as soft as my 160. But uh, it, it was distinguishably different. Particularly, I, I ran some 124 grain stand one armory through it as well, and that stuff was coming out of my PCC at near ma major power factor, which was really shocking for a for a 124 everyday you know, manufacturer bullet. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. So anyway, I, I was, say, was I, interesting. I, I, I think you had posted what it was like 150 power factor. Was it not? Uh, geez, here's another example of where I didn't, um, actually do the math and write it down. Okay. I mean, whatever one twenty, whatever one twenty four times thirteen fifty six is. I can get it. Let me see if I can get it. I can switch. I've got my calculator up. I'm gonna just jump off screen real quick. So we okay. got thirteen fifty six times an assumed one twenty four because we know jacketed bullets don't lose. Yeah, one sixty eight power factor. So stand one out oh, of my PCC. Wow, was coming out at one sixty eight. Which you think about, you know, PCC shooters that don't load and, you know, maybe appreciate ammo made in Texas and want to support stand one, which I, which I do. Um, boy, you're, you're rolling up to a match, at, by the way, out of a 10.5 inch barrel, right? I'm shooting an SBR. So it's right. coming out of 168 out of an SBR. So, you know, that's not a competitive advantage in most cases. No, no you'll, definitely you'll, you'll not. You'll probably never have a popper calibration. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying there's anyway. an app. There is an app. I'm trying to find it. Um I'll have to keep scrolling through here as we talk. But there is an actual app that allows you to just punch in um man, why can I not find it? Son of a gun. Anyway, somewhere I have an, an app that allows you, you basically punch in the velocity, the grain of the bullet, and it will give you power factor. Sure. Yeah. So it, it's real quick. I'll have to try to flip through and figure out which one that one is. I don't think. No, that's not it. Well, shoot. I'll figure well, it out. Yeah. So anyway, I, I chrono everything out of the Rock Island. Um, 
really the most interesting data there I felt was the standard deviation of the velocities. Okay. Um, which, which again, you know, the, the summit city and the Hoosier were, are, are identical profiles. So they should have the exact same or, you know, near identical internal pressures. The um, precision Delta is a longer, taller profile and ironically seated lower because the overall length was the least of all of them, um, which you'd think would have higher pressures. And then the blues were, were kind of in the middle. Um, or I guess I'd have to confirm on my overall spread there. No, the blue. Well, anyway. Shooting 15 rounds through a chrono, I think, is enough to have a standard deviation that's worth looking at in terms of velocities of the bullet coating and the bullet manufacturer's process, right? So again, we, we, we don't know what the internal pressure is of each one of those, but we know that each 15 that I shot were the same. And so, so I don't care that one of them made more power factor than the other. I don't care that one of them had a higher velocity than the other, because all that is internal pressures that we're talking about. I do care that the, the velocity difference had, you know, different standard deviations. And so I, I thought that that was one of the most interesting data points. Um, Precision Delta had the lowest standard deviation of 7.98, and then Summit yeah. City at 13.39. And then basically it was a tie, but I, I ranked them technically, you know, um, uh, the Hoosier were 16.06 and then 16.08 with the Blues. Um, and, and really the reason why I say it's a tie is it's a 21.27 feet per second versus a, a 20.29, which is a pretty nominal feet per second in terms of, you know, less than one feet per second difference is the variation there. Um, but the fact that it was 20 versus, say, 10 or, or 17, basically, out of the reds, I thought that was an interesting metric worth looking at. Um, and then, of course, accuracy was the other one. And since I know we're running low on time, let's go ahead and skip to that. Uh, you know, all, all of the, all three or all four bullet types had three outliers, which I, I just, I think is an interesting data point. There's, there, there's a core group or a core shape, um, of each one of these targets. And then there's three bullets off to the side. And so that's either me pulling one out of four bullets because I shot 12, um, for the accuracy test. Or, I, I don't know, but it's an interesting data point is you've got these three outliers of each one of the tests and of each one of these groups, they're all within a three inch circle, basically. And now, 17 group yards. At 17 yards, every one of okay. these were within a three inch group, which, which because most of the... Um, well, they're all, they're all a little different, but um, I mean, basically, you're going to hit the head alpha on every one of these if your dot's in the middle, you know, in, including, including a perf break on, e on either side. So, um, you know, basically, they were all within a three-inch group. And then there's the core, which you're showing the blues right now. The, co the, the blues had the tightest core in terms of that grouping. Um, right. The rest of them were still all within a one and a half inch circle. Um, so, you know, if from an accuracy standpoint, can you rank these? I think you can. I think blues had the tightest core circle. Ironically, they had the worst widespread. But again, 
I'm still I'm still on the gun. You know, as you know, keeping the guns access true north is a lot easier with a with a reticle than with a red sure. dot. And so, Absolutely. you know, is 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 this me pushing them all over a little bit because that's how I'm on the gun? Probably. You know, the the rest of the groups are all touching, making one hole. So, you know, they're all accurate bullets. Um, but you know, you can you can still rank them if you want to. Um, and uh, what else? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think accuracy and snare deviation were kind of the two biggest takeaways from the test. But overall, like everything did really well. And so that like that's that's an interesting data point too. You know, if if you want to pick winners and losers, you'd have to take all ten of my metrics, rank the metrics in importance assign right. a higher point scale to the most important and vice versa, and then come up with a winner and loser. And um, I still might do that, but I think the, the, the ultimate point here was all three of the coded bullets did really well, but just know you're going to lose a little bit of weight on high-tech coded bullets, and, and you don't with blue, at least in my testing parameters. Um, and but, the... At but, the but Mike, does one tenth of a grain really matter? It shouldn't. Yeah, I mean it. It, it shouldn't. But now, keep in mind, at thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred feet per second, that can be something that hurts an average, particularly if you're if you're cranking out rounds really fast and your powder mm -hmm. charge is shaking around a little bit. Now you've got a variance in your powder and a variance in the bullet. And you're just assuming there's no variances in your powder while you load, right? You know, because I know I've yeah. been to Chrono and had like, a, a whoa, that one certainly had some stuff shaken out of it while I was making it. Um, so, but now my my question is, when you load yours, how much of a buffer? Like, like when we were loading, we would load mm -hmm. ours for minor power factor to be between one thirty and one thirty two. Okay. So, so we yeah. were ensuring that regardless of where we went or whatever else, we had enough of a buffer there that it doesn't matter. Right. Absolutely. Um, for PCC, uh, mine, like based on my chrono and then based on what I've seen at certain matches chronos, I load mine so they should end up at the match between 128 and 131. Now for, okay, for, so for area match... Lower. I'm a little lower, but for area matches, I put an extra 0.2 grain in my case so that I'm a lot higher. Um, you know, I'm coming in at 135 at area six or area eight wow, because that's, okay. that's, that's the stage where I cannot afford to have, you know, two low charges and then have to fight my average up just, just for whatever reason. I'm listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, oh, and, and then the, the biggest takeaway was all the, all the coded bullets work really well at this overall length, both in my PCC and my handgun, but the jacketed hollow points need to be longer because at the length that they were loaded, mm -hmm. while I was chronoing my 15 rounds, it took me 21 rounds to get 15 because I had failure to feeds by the bullet getting stuck in the feed ramp because okay. it... Just the just the geometry of my mags and my feed ramp. Um, all six rounds that I had to stop and take out had significant setback into the case. Now, I know you're 
how much of that though do you think has to do with the shape of the bullet in addition to the length i don't know um i know that i i started loading open major with the 125 grain profile from blues because david wampler says the profile is far more friendly for the whole feed ramp you know top of the chamber into the chamber geometry than jacketed hollow points are and so it very well can be the shape of the bullet maybe even combined with the bullet material against my feed ramp. Um, but, I, but I know that, you know, most people are like, well, jacket hollow points are more accurate um, because they're, they're loaded from the front to the rear. Um, but apparently they have to be loaded longer to feed at least in my handgun. You know, that's, that's, again, that's just a data point. I know there's plenty of people that rock 38 super and nine major in nice, long, beautiful jacketed hollow points. And for my die settings, uh, as at least the base combination of all the other factors, it was just too short for them to feed reliably. So I, I, I stopped shooting them out of the handgun once I got my chrono, just because I was sick of having them nosedive and be becoming dangerous. They fed fine okay. to my PCC. No issues there. They, they shot super mm. soft, like I said. Well, I mean, they and by far, they had the best standard deviation. Yes. Of, of all of it. I don't know they how had, much they had of that the best. Was... Yeah. They had the best standard deviation in their velocity. They had the most consistent bullet weight of all the ones that I were weighing. Um, and I think... Let's see. They also had the most generous buffer from the advertised weight to the actual average weight. <laughs> So they're great bullets. They're great projectiles. Just this this particular load wasn't a great fit for my handgun. Right. Yeah, and even when you pulled them, there was no loss of weight. Yep, but no I, loss. I, I, I assume that's just because they're a jacketed bullet, so there's no coating that's coming off. I don't think there's any way there's going to be weight coming off. Yeah. Yeah. Not unless okay. I was using steel cases that were cutting into the jacket, but I'm not. Right. Interesting. Um... It looks like you were loading them at... Now, what did you have your press set for? Because it looks like they basically all came out or pretty close to 095. Yeah. Yeah, so I I don't I don't know how to answer your question besides I had him set up for one point one one point one overall length for in my one sixty profile. Okay, gotcha. That's what. Well, that so, answered yeah. my question. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, that's not that bad. No, I mean I, you know I I didn't want to adjust my dies to do this test because I knew my blues were good to go as is. And so I wanted to see if I introduced other bullet manufacturers on my settings for my gun, were they going to jive or not? And it just turned out that, you know, for whatever reason, the combination of this overall length with my feed ramp, the jacket hollow points didn't work this short. And it's not a surprise. They, they came out on average on 1.07. That's pretty short. Yeah. And actually I was looking at, I was looking at the Hoosier data and, and not the other, yeah, they it did come out pretty short actually at 1.0753. So 
Yeah, I could see where bumping it up to the 1.1, like you're saying, might make a big difference in how it feeds. Oh, I, absolutely. But that thing's just know, going again, head on into the bottom of the feed ramp. It's uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So again, that's that's not a knock against the bullet type of manufacturer. That's just yep. how my setup is right now. It it needs to be adjusted. And, you know, like like my full-time job isn't reviewing bullet manufacturers, right? This is a com this is a right. complete complete almost reallocation of my hobby time to do something to just put information out there. So, you know, should I have had the same overall length for every bullet? Okay, that's going to solve, that's going to at least answer feeding reliability questions, but it's going to change the internal pressures, which, you know, now that changes velocity, accuracy. I mean, you know, so right. what's the perfect test? I don't know, but I want to get a lot of data. And now th this is not per se, and if anybody's watched the podcast this long, you know, Good for good for you, and that's There's not a knock on you. It's just, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but, it's drier um, information, but it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, people are going to eat this up that eat it up. But um, as an observation of all the metrics that I took, every bullet manufacturer finished fourth in one category, except Summit City. The lowest they ever fit. In fact, it's most. It's where a lot a lot of the time they landed was third so they never they never were last in something they never had the worst standard velocity or the worst gross accuracy or core accuracy or uh you know average spread of, of the bullet loading so you know is is that the winner no but it's an interesting point of data you know they sure. you know maybe for my setup and all this stuff that's the most consistent but for your gun that's again e that's that's e that's equal weighting everything and that's where that point falls apart. But right, and this is not an infomercial for Summit City, so <laughs> no, no, it's not. They'd like they'd like it to be. Every time I put something out, oh, he's sure. like, "Oh, what what'd you get on this?" I'm like, "Tony, Tony, like I love your stuff. You're my 160 guy. You know, I I just I have too many blues to to make you my 124 guy right now, at least. So right, yeah, you don't want to just discard them. I get you. It, very interesting. I mean, there's always something you can glean from this type of information, you know? Yeah, I mean, th this certainly is going to make me a better reloader because um, I've learned things about certain aspects that I can now tweak, move, troubleshoot while I'm practicing or developing a load. So, you know, hopefully this, uh, this gives people data um, that they can do the same thing and become a better reloader. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do think it's probably hard to go through this information the way you have it written on the page. Like, you know yeah. what all of it is. And I was able to pick out some of it, but some of it I wasn't until we started talking. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm I'm tracking and following along. Um, well, it, it sounds like I need to have a series of follow-up posts with more clearly written and um, resulted information for the greater good. Yeah. I mean, let me see if I can, I don't know where it's going to pop up. I've got three screens, so it can pop up anywhere. All right. Um, all right. So 
I will maximize that. Hopefully I don't, all right, I'm going to have to make that smaller. Now I can resize this. And then you can, and, but this is what I'm saying. This is where, you know, like you, I mean, this is basically a hobby. So it makes mm -hmm. it much more difficult. There we go. Um, this is just one I just did. This is a quick one. I've done others, which are much more intense than this. But this was July of 2020. And I just did five strings of uh, one, two, three, four, ten. Something obviously happened there, so I just blacked it out. I don't remember what that was. But the average velocity, standard deviation, and then what the average was overall, what the average power factor was, and then... Mm -hmm. But I mean, to take what you have, all those pages, and try to <laughs> condense it down into something more uh, palatable is going to take mm -hmm. you quite a bit of time. So Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I know the data in and out. I know how to summarize it. I mean, I, I have, you know, two, two of the pictures in there are the summary of all the results and just where, you know, one, two, three, four. Same, same with this one here. That's a terrible way to hold it up. Right. You know, so that, that, that has where people, you know, that, that has where everybody ranked. The problem is, is, you know, I put, I put 10 pages on my post and those, those are probably the most two important. And you got to lead with a target. Cause if I post a picture of a yellow legal pad, nobody's going to want to scroll past it and see what's on there. <laughs> but right. yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of have the summaries with the results, but I could still do it in a more uh, effective way. Yeah, I'm trying to get this thing a little bit better readable. I'm trying to figure out which ones. Oh, that's tiny. I don't know. Oh, I know why. No? Oh, interesting. I don't know why it's making it small. But, yeah, I mean, it's a that's lot of data. <laughs> there we are. Back to the short-barreled rifles again. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> so I don't know where the app went on my phone. I updated to a new phone and I can't find it on my phone anywhere. So, but there is one called bullet energy calculator. Mm -hmm. I just, I just downloaded it. And when you open it up, it asks the same thing. So weight in grains, we'll say 124 and then velocity in feet per second. You said what? 1350. Uh, let's see. Let's Um, do uh 1294. 1294. So I pop in 1294. Oh, 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 yeah. You're talking about the stand one. Yeah. 1356 would have been that one. Okay. 1356 gives you a power factor of 168.144. And that's all I had to yep. punch in. Yep. yep. So if, if anybody is still listening, <laughs> there you go. There's a bonus. It's an app. Yeah. I use an Android, so it's Bullet Energy Calculator. I don't know what happened to the other app. It's literally not on my phone, so I don't know if it just disappeared or what. Yeah. But so a lot of information. Very. Do you have any plans in the future to do any more testing? I don't have any plans. I okay. probably will. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, I <laughs> like mean, anything else? Like, oh, I feel like doing this. Yeah, like like for example, um, you know, my 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 team, Da Vinci, um, their their PCC is so amazing. Um, and you know, as soon as I was brought onto the team, uh, the owner David was like, you know, hey, are you gonna SB, you know, do you want to SBR like you normally shoot with everything else? I'm like, heck yeah. He's like, here's a serial number for your lower. So I was able to start my tax process before I even had it actually transferred to me. Um, and that, you know, so I'm still waiting on that. Hopefully that'll come back around the first week of November based on current ATF times. But, um, you know, for now I've got my, my primary and my backup PCC. I've got my DaVinci upper and trigger and buffer system in what was my primary PCC. So I'll eventually have three short barrel rifle PCCs with three different buffer systems, the shield roller delay, the MBX air buffer and the Blitzkrieg hydraulic. And so one of the, so I guess I do have plans. I've, I've been thinking about this. Once I have all three, once I have all three PCCs set up, I'm going to run the same ammo through the different buffer systems Ooh. and see if I can, you know, you know, does the buffer affect accuracy? You know, how mm. much pressure is there before? I, I don't know. So, you know, right. uh, perceived recoil, um, see if, you know, you know, just you know, the, the different triggers, you know, are there lower splits with one hyperfire versus the other? It, who knows? So, so I probably will do some more testing because um, I, I know particularly the buffer system is probably what PCC shooters focus on the most. Um, cause you know, you can have a great slow burning powder or, you know, great load. And if you're just using a standard a two buffer, it's going to feel violent, you know? Um, and then you get into the hydraulic and then, and then you can tune the air buffer and the roller delay and they all feel different. So, right. um, you, you know, like, uh, like because I built three PCCs and I went from the hydraulic to trying the air buffer to now my gun came with a roller delay. I wanted to try it, but it's 300 bucks. You know, that's an expensive test. Um, you know, everybody's, everybody that shot it loves it. So like, you know, if, if you're still listening, you know, um, but, but, you know, but, but, but I'd much rather be able to tell people, you know, and throw in, um, you know, a seven ounce buffer that, you know, wouldn't cycle on a five, five, six, cause it's, it's too long. You know, but throw in a heavy buffer and then a regular A2. I've got five buffer systems I can test now. I think that'd be valuable information as people maybe want to either play in PCC or it's an easy division to get started in. Because if you're already 5.56 five, carbine, you know, marine, um, like, you know, if, if that's your jam already, you're going to become a PCC shooter pretty quick. So, you know, it'd be great to have unbiased information out there with tests that people can go through and look at and say, here's how I want to spend my first buffer allocation. You know, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that sounds like a, a pretty cool test, actually. I think the only problem you'd have is the perceived recoil would be more subjective than objective. But I feel like yeah. everything else, though, you know, you can't measure internal chamber pressure, but at least you could you could measure your accuracy, your velocity, and all of that. So that'd be an interesting one to to see as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd have to come up with some sort of scale that measures, you know, recoil for perceived recoil. I mean, yeah, it's, it's certainly subjective, yeah. but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the the proof would be in, say, a 10-yard bill drill. 
Yeah, proof had proofs in the pudding. Um, but like 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 a ten yard bill drill, even if the perceived recoil is higher, but your group is tighter, that tells you that the buffer is doing its job, right? I mean, I, I think I think there'd be there'd be ways to to at least measure them and and ext- extrapolate data. You know, you know who I would reach out to. Who I, I would reach out to Nemo Arms, N E M O Arms. Okay, they have a they have a buffer system in their rifles. It's like a two-stage buffer system mm-hmm. that reduces their recoil down to crazy amount of nothing. Like a 308 <laughs> recoils like a 556. Wow. It's it's yeah, it's crazy stupid how much, but they might know of a way that you might be able to maybe there's a pad that goes under the recoil pad um, at the end of the stock. Maybe they can mm-hmm. measure. I, I don't know. And I'm not saying spend yeah. a lot of money either. But I mean, they yeah, may yeah. have a way that, you know, this is how we did it. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, well, Mike, thanks for coming on. I know you've got to run, so I don't want to hold you any longer. Um, but we definitely thanks need to. Me, oh, man, it's been a pleasure. But we definitely need to talk more numbers because I, I could talk numbers for days. Yeah, heck yeah, man. We, we when, Whenever you want. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, th- thanks again for having me. And. We'll catch you around. Absolutely.